Well, as Pastor Tig, my name is Vicar, as Pastor Tig said, my name is Vicar Joel. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, I'm a vicar at St. Luke's, which means that I'm a student, I'm studying to become a pastor, and so one year on that journey is a year placed in the real world, learning on the job, actually getting to do what a pastor does uh, in some respect. So I'm glad to, to be here at St. Luke's and glad to share the message this morning. Our scripture reading comes from Matthew 25. It's Jesus sharing another parable about the kingdom to come and what it will be like and really what it means for us today. Jesus says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you have delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will put you over a lot, over much. Uh, and he, who, he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you have delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, so that at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, so we are imagining the unimaginable kingdom to come here at St. Luke's. And so we've been looking at Jesus' parables that have to do with the end of the world, but really about how we live now as we wait for the end, as we wait for Jesus to return. And as we've been going through this, I've been amazed at how much Jesus has to say about waiting. It's quite a bit. It's been several parables. It's been weeks worth of, of sermons that Jesus has, has said about, about waiting. And I think this is because Jesus knew just how hard it is for us humans to wait. All our lives we struggle with how to be patient. As, as a kid, I remember struggling to be patient as I would count down the days to Christmas or to my birthday. And as a teenager, I, I struggled to be patient as I waited just to get out of the house, to be independent, to be on my own and make my own rules. And I know that my parents struggled with their patience with me as they had to deal with me, this impatient little child. See, patience is a virtue and it's, it's a hard one to find. And so Jesus knew that it would be especially hard for us to be patient for something so much greater, something 
so much bigger than, than just the Christmas day, but for his return to finish what he started. We are waiting as Christians, for, we are waiting for Jesus to end evil in our world and to make things new once and for all. That is, is a hard thing to wait for. And so Jesus gave us these parables. And with each one of these parables, Jesus talks about waiting in a slightly different way. And each time we can learn something a little bit different, something a little bit new about what it means to wait for Jesus as a Christian. Think about some of the parables that we've looked at the past few weeks. Each one gives us that something different. For instance, the parable of the fig tree from a couple weeks ago. From that parable, we learned hopeful waiting. We learned uh, Jesus' return could happen at any time. And when Jesus returns, it will bring in a season of growth. So we wait with hope. We wait like a kid waiting for Christmas Day or like parents awaiting the birth of a child. We have our eyes looking forward and we long to what is going to be coming to us. And last week, we learned a different type of waiting. We learned about uh, the parable when Jesus compared his return to the days of Noah, when the end came without warning. And through that, we learned watchful waiting. We learned that Jesus' return will be unexpected, so we should wait like a soldier who's on duty in the height of war, who has his eyes open, his ears are listening, and he's ready to move at a moment's notice. Our parable this morning gives us another lesson to be learned about waiting for Jesus. Through this parable, we learn that our waiting isn't idle. We're not supposed to wait for Jesus' return, twiddling our thumbs and just looking to the sky, waiting for Jesus to come back. Instead, we're supposed to be active. We learned active waiting. See, we have a purpose while we wait. We have things to do, and the reason for that is simple. Jesus' work wasn't finished happening in our world when he ascended. Instead, he, he recruited his disciples, his church, he recruited us all here today to continue his work on earth until he returns. So that's active waiting. That's what we are called to do. And when we hear this parable especially, and when we look close and compare the two types of servants, the two faithful servants and the third wicked servant, we can see what active waiting is all about. Active waiting is about first knowing our calling, knowing who we are, what God has given to us, and what he expects from us. And second, knowing the master, knowing Jesus. When we understand these two things, we can learn to wait like Jesus called us to. When we know our calling and know our master. So first, knowing our calling. Each of the servants in Jesus' parable received a calling from the master to work. One received five talents, another two, and a third got one talent. I think some of the significance of this calling can be lost on us as modern readers of this parable because we aren't immediately amazed about the size of a talent. See, a talent, even by a conservative estimate, a single talent is worth something like 19 or 20 years of wages for an average worker. So that means that even the servant who received just one talent received a small fortune. It would have been upwards of a million dollars by today's money if we consider that comparison. That is a large and important calling. And when the master gave it to these servants, he entrusted it to him. Did you catch that word? Entrusted. And that means that there was purpose behind this gift. This, these gifts weren't just donations to the servants' retirement accounts. 
Instead, this money was to be used to continue the master's work while he was away. And the first two servants understood their calling. We can see this just simply by the way that they acted. They immediately got up, left, and got to work. And when the master returned after that long time, they came to him and, and, and he said, You entrusted me with this many talents. See, I, I have got this many more. They recognized their calling. They recognized how big and how important it was. And so they got to work. They were active in their waiting. See, from this parable, we can gain some perspective about our own callings, too. We, too, have been entrusted with things from God to serve him. We were entrusted. And I was reminded of this fact uh, last year when I took a financial, personal finance class at the seminary. The seminary wants to train pastors who also, you know, they can preach and they can teach, but they can also manage their checkbook well, and they can uh, manage their household and and their money all right. So they have each of us take a financial course. Um, In one of the first weeks of the course, the man leading the class said that that there's a lie that almost 100% of Christians believe. Almost 100% of Christians believe that they own their stuff. They, they believe that they, their stuff belongs to them. And I was taken aback by this comment, but, but it, it's really, it's got some truth to it. And, and we see that in the parable for this morning. That all that we have has been given to us. See, we Christians have bought into a lie about our money. And we think that, that because we've earned it and we've done something to, to get this, that we can then choose to use it however we want or even to not use it. It's all up to us. But that's not the case for Christians. We know that everything we have is a gracious gift from God. So when we, re- re- when we read this parable, we are reminded that we have been entrusted with good gifts to use for God's purpose. And if we only talk about money, then we are just barely scratching the surface of the gifts that God has given to all of us. It wouldn't begin to put the amount of gifts into perspective See, using money for God's purposes is great. Giving a tithe is awesome. But it's really the beginning of service. It's just the tip of the iceberg. Consider all the things that you could do for the the, the kingdom of God with your family that God has given you. We have been blessed with with people who love us and support us and, and people that we can pour into as well. We can build up the next generation of Christians through our families. That is a wonderful gift from God that we can use for his purposes. Consider the, the passions of your heart that drive you to create or to work hard. Or the talents that God has blessed you with. Literal talents that, that, that you can use just by being active for God's kingdom. We truly have been blessed with so much by God and he calls us to use it all for him. That's why understanding our calling is so important for us as we try to actively wait for Jesus' return. That's how we, we learn to wait as Jesus taught us. See, the third servant didn't understand this calling. We can see that simply by the way that he acted. He is the picture-perfect example of what it looks like to fail at active waiting. You know, it's not just that he was a bad servant or that he was incapable of, of doing anything with, with the gifts that the master gave him. Instead, he didn't even try. He deliberately chose to do nothing rather than to serve his master. He 
could have gone to the bank and deposited it, but instead he dug a hole and buried the money. And that is absolutely ridiculous, and we should be kind of taken aback by that. He put more work into burying his money than it would have been just to give it to someone else and earn interest on the money. See, this was a deliberate action that the servant did to not work. And it actually, we realize when he then eventually speaks in the parable that he didn't recognize his master at all. That's the second part of active waiting, recognizing our master. And I think it's perhaps the most important part about it, that we recognize who our master is. In the parable, when the master returned, the third servant actually blamed the master for his failures. He actually accuses the master of being in the wrong. He says, oh, I knew that you were a hard man, so I was scared. And what he actually accuses the master of is being a manipulative, dishonest businessman. He says that he knows that the master is a, someone who, who reaps what he hasn't sown and, and where he hasn't scattered seed. You know, this sudden turn to start talking about farming seems a little strange for, for this parable. The rest of the parable is about commerce and business. But when Jesus is telling this story, our light bulb should be going off when we hear him mention a sower. Because we know through this sermon series, and we've talked about the parables of Jesus, Jesus talks about himself as a sower multiple times. And so the image that Jesus gives about himself being a sower and the image of this servant about his master being a sower, they don't line up. See, we know that Jesus, as a sower, he's not a sower who reaps crops from what other people have planted. He is a sower who sows seed everywhere, literally everywhere. There's no place that doesn't have seeds from Jesus. Even where he knows that the ground cannot sprout crops, Jesus, as a sower, still sows seeds. So the disciples, when they were listening to Jesus, and they hear this servant's description of the master, they would have known instantly that this servant isn't just wrong about his master, but he has it completely backwards. The master doesn't take what's not his. The master gives and gives regardless, and he, even when he cannot receive anything back. That's the master that the disciples had come to know. That's the master that we've come to know as well. See, when we realize who our master is, serving him just feels like the natural response. When we realize how loving and how giving our master is, serving him doesn't feel like a chore or mundane duty. Instead, it's our joy to serve our God. And if you're unsure about just how generous the master really is, our master Jesus, look no further than the cross. In the cross, there we see his generosity clearly. There our master came as a servant and the lowest of servants and gave even when he had nothing left to give and gave his life. For people that didn't deserve it. For us. See, that is the picture of our master that we know. That's the master that we serve. We know our master to be Jesus, who has already served us. So we can now serve him until the day that he returns. And you know, that's really the most amazing thing of this parable, the return. Because we know that our master isn't done giving yet. In the parable, the master gives an unreasonable reward to the servants, to the faithful servants. 
Did you catch what, what he said in there? He said that they have, who have been faithful with a little, he will set them over much. Faithful with a little, he will set them over much. The little doesn't seem to line up for these servants who have been faithful over millions of dollars worth of, of wealth. To call that a little in comparison to the much that the master will be giving them, that just shows that the reward doesn't make sense. The reward is simply too great for the work that the servants actually did. No matter how good of a job a servant did, there's no way they deserved to be put over something that great. See, that reward is the generosity of the master on display once again. And that promise is for us too, and it puts our whole lives into perspective. When things are going well for us, when our checkbook is balanced and our kids are healthy and everything is going all right, when you have the best vicarage in the whole synod, you know, when things are going well, how incredible is the knowledge that this will only seem like a little compared to the future joy that God has for us. And when things aren't going well, when the budget is tight or when the spouse gets sick, when the people that you love pass away, there we have this hope. That we are waiting for something truly amazing that will change every hurt in our lives to joy. And because of that, we can actively wait in our pain. Because we know the master and we know the future of giving that he has in store for us, we can serve God even through our worst times. When things aren't going well, we can wonder, what great thing is God doing in the midst of this mess? How can I use what little I have in this moment to serve him? It's in these times of little, the active waiting is actually the most powerful. That we see just how great, how amazing things God can do through even the littlest. We can hope for the even more during these times. We can hope for the even more incredible things that Jesus has in store for us when he returns. That is our calling. That is our master, Jesus Christ, who gives us all that we have and promises to give us even more. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the giver of all good things. Lord, you have given us all that we have. There's nothing that we have that hasn't come from you. Lord, help us to use that in service of you, to build your kingdom, to look out for those around us, to continue your work here on earth, even after Jesus has ascended. And Lord, we thank you for the promises that we have in Jesus that our sins are forgiven, and that there will be a day when all this just seems like a little in comparison to the joy that you have in store for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.